always good to be in the house of the Lord on a Sunday morning. You guys remember uh, we've been going through a, a series called The Vine, and uh, this, this week we're going to go over The Vine, the, the title, the subtitle of this is Hunger and Thirst, Hunger and Thirst. There's a, one of my, it's growing to become one of my favorite passages uh, that I refer to quite often. It's in Matthew chapter 5, and it starts, the start, it's the beginning really of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives, and uh, it's so full of rich insight and lots of good things that we can, uh, we can take away and have. As we, uh, as we learn what, what Jesus' explanation of the law was for us. And so we're going to start with this. Matthew chapter 5, bless you, verses 1 through 16 says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I'm going to take a pause right here, and we're going to go back up kind of closer to the top at verse 3. This is, this is really important, really important here because Jesus is introducing, uh, I've mentioned this before, but this is his interpretation, his, his delivery. This is what rabbis do. Uh, one version is called like the halakha. It's the, the rabbi's teaching of what the law means and the interpretation of its context for them in that day. And so when Jesus is delivering in the midst of all these things, he begins to teach them what he believes is the important imperative for them in that day and how they should live. And the beautiful thing about this is this is the Messiah giving us the interpretation of what was passed down to Moses for how people should be living their lives. It's while later on he says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. It's not because the law is bad. We read... We read uh, in previous weeks that Paul even mentions, he said, it's not the law that's bad. He said, if you, if you fulfill the things that are within the law, if you fulfill the things as far as loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, then you actually fulfill everything that is within the law. And so the interpretation is not, I just have to do good things. That's a false interpretation of what this passage is. Sure, maybe you will, you will live a moral life, and that's great. We want people to live positive moral lives where you're following after society's norms and things that are that are helpful and beneficial to further uh, further humanity and society. It's wonderful. You don't have to be a Christian to live a, a quote-unquote good life if you have a good moral compass. However, that does not get you a relationship with Jesus. And so this is why it's very important for us to, to, to really look and see what Jesus is talking about. So he said in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
What you have to offer spiritually is empty without God. You recognize your need for Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. When you do that, then you realize that you can be poor in spirit. You could be rich in material. You could be rich in, in things. You could, you know, live like a king here in southeast Missouri or a queen in southeast Missouri, and that's wonderful. But you have to realize that without Christ, you are very poor in spirit. You do not have the, uh, the ability to deliver someone from their, their infirmities. You don't have the ability to overcome the flesh on your own. The weightiness of your spirit is very light as far as its, its value, its worth within, within a, uh, a context of, of salvation. You cannot pay the price of your own salvation with, with your spirit before God. However, whenever you have Christ, and that means that he's paid the price of your sins. He took on the weight of your sin, of your condemnation, of the damnation that you had, and he went down into the grave. He went to the cross and into the grave. And then in that, he paid the price so that you can have extreme worth and value as you are, like we talked about, grafted into the vine. A branch outside of the tree is not worth much, except for it to burn. However, when it's attached to the tree, it can then bear fruit. But a branch that is not connected to the tree cannot bear any fruit because it is dead. That is the condition of our hearts if we're not grafted into the vine, if we are not connected in Christ. You say, well, what does it mean to be in Christ? That's a really weird phraseology. We say things in Christianity all the time that if you really think about it and you have someone who is, who's not been around Christianity for a long time, they don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> we say a lot of things like that. I don't know if you guys realize that. There's a lot of phrases that we've just picked up just being in church, and it just, we just say it. It's just, I'm blessed and highly favored, brother. It's like, what does that even mean? What does blessed and highly favored mean in your context? It could mean something very different than mine. So when we say we are in Christ, that's really weird because we don't see Christ, right? He's not like standing right here, like physically, like you, you see material. So what does it mean to be in Christ and for Christ to be in you? It's the spiritual fruit that's born that's, that you're able to see the reality of Christ. Whenever Christ is in you, he's going to transform you from the inside. He's going to transform your heart, the intentions of your heart, the matters of the mind. That's why Paul talks a lot about transforming and not being conformed by the, by the ways of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Peter says the same thing. He says, don't you be conformed or constrained or, or, or worn down or, or squeezed by the world, but be transformed by the way that you think. Because when you can do that, then you'll start to realize that the Holy Spirit is working inside of you to transform you so that you can reflect the true nature of who God is. So that Christ in you can be seen as you in Christ. That means that with every behavior that you have, it will reflect who Christ is. Does it make you Jesus? We need to make sure we get that record straight. You are not Christ. But people can see the evidence of Jesus working in your life. There's been many times that it's been easy for me in my life to be able to play church and act like I'm doing real good. But in reality, I'm not allowing Christ to work out my salvation in the midst of it because I can just play a part. There'll be many people who can play parts of being Christian. That's easy by just following a set of rules. 
Pokemon, if you want to work a system, you, you, you work the rules. You try to find out what the rules are, trying to find if you have any loopholes or if there's anything that you can, you can do, to, right? I mean, when you, when you can do that, man, you, you start to work all kinds of systems. You see, there's all kinds of manipulators who have who've worn the hat of a Christian and claim that they're, they're doing all the right things. And sure, there may be some momentum in what's going on, but it doesn't mean that what they're doing is full of Christ. It's more full of themselves. There are many of those people throughout the Bible. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Paul wrote those letters to Timothy and to Titus. He's like, look, they're a bunch of false teachers. It's interesting, there's more about false teachers than there are about about false prophets in, in the Bible. And a lot of people are really worried about false prophets, but not so concerned about false teachers. You gotta make sure that what you're being fed and what you're learning and what you're actually applying to your life is something that is full of Christ and not just full of knowledge. I quoted Leonard, Le, uh, Leonard Ravenhill. He says in his book, Why Revival Tarries, he says, look, a, a message that is easily drawn from the mind will only touch the mind, but one that is drawn from the heart will penetrate the heart of others. It's one thing to just know information, but it's a whole other thing to live out something and to have that really emanate from you, knowing that Christ in you is the hope of glory. It is not you that's the hope of glory for people. You are not the Savior. I am not the Savior. No one in this room can amount to that because we are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who recognize that they need Christ. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know why that is? It's because if you're not poor in spirit, then you've created your own kingdom. You're not operating in the kingdom of heaven. You're operating in the kingdom of self. Which in reality, if you are not for Christ, then you are against Christ. Meaning that you are operating in tandem with the, with the kingdom of this world. With the domain of the enemy. And so blessed are the poor in spirit. Because you are not the king or the ruler of your own life. You've set Christ on the throne of your desires. In your heart, he is the one that's ruling. And so because of that, yours now. You get to operate inside of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You know, there's a lot of people here who have dealt with lots of grief lately. Uh, Keep uh, Colton Colton Carpenter in, in prayer, him and his wife, his grandpa just passed away just this morning. He was supposed to be here this morning to play bass and let me know that he passed away, so he was with his family this morning. It's important, and I mean, I, I can look around this room, and I, I mean, there's all kinds of people that have been dealing with all kinds, of, all kinds of grief, whether if it's death, whether if it's broken relationships, whatever it is, lots of, lots of circumstances that is, that's driving us into a place of mourning. Now, it's important for us to mourn. It's, it's important for us to go through uh, sections of grief. I think, I think we get really scared of feelings sometimes that we feel like we have to have this strong face in front of adversity. But I think it's really helpful to have a tender heart whenever we go through things. It doesn't make you soft. It makes your heart aware of what's going on. Because then you can grieve over things that have happened. We're not supposed to, to, to have to go through certain split relationships and broken, broken friendships. And, and death is not, is not something that, that you ever really get used to whenever it comes to having people who are close to you who are passing away. However, we have the hope of glory, which is the good part about the mourning process is because um, 
there may be mourning in the, in the evening time, but joy will come in the morning. You'll have seasons and times of grief and mourning, and that's very healthy. But then it's the hope that we have in Christ that drives us from that place of dealing with those emotions, dealing with those struggles, and then seeing Christ in the midst of it. Knowing that Jesus went through mourning, and he also went through joy. Holding joy in the midst of it, but seeing the fruit of that after he goes through that process. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. When meek is used in a positive way, it, it describes someone who shows patient restraint. However, when used negatively, it means overly submissive. The positive sense of meek implies that someone is able to remain calm and subdued even when being provoked. It's a type of self-control when you can be meek. I thought that definition was really interesting. Blessed are the meek. Th those who have self-control and self-restraint. Those who don't feel like they have to be loud and obnoxious just to get their way. However, there's the negative aspect, which I thought was, was really interesting why, why I kept that in there. Is that if you, are, if you are negatively meek, then that means that you are overtly submissive. I think sometimes we can, we can, we can mistake meekness with just Letting people have their way, even if it's wrong. And that's wrong. It says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You will not inherit anything if you let people stomp all over you. There's no inheritance in being submissive to the point of death. Death of dreams, death of visions, death of goals, death of ambitions, death of forward progress. You cannot be submissive to the place to where you don't allow the conviction of the Holy Spirit and what he's called you into doing be squashed and squandered because somebody else has a preference that is other than your own. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. If you're really following after the, the plans that God has for you, then he says that he will cause all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Come on, we know what the Bible says about, about us having a purpose and a future and hope and all these things are great. But if you don't walk in according to scripture, then you will never inherit the things that God has for you because you're overtly submissive. This is a lesson I'm learning more and more too. <laughs> I'm walking through these processes because I can, I can try to be overtly kind and, and want people to do what they want to do, but at the same time, not allow what I feel the Lord is moving me into happen because I want other people to be satisfied. That's a people pleaser syndrome right there is what that's called. And people pleaser syndrome is a cancer to our mentalities. It is a cancer because sooner or later you will start to chameleonize yourself in whatever type of environment you're in. And then you're pleasing all kinds of people and then you are really starting to deal with Negative emotions when it comes to your conviction because conviction is there, but you're not listening to it. Holy Spirit speaking, but you're not really paying attention too much because, well, it's just going to make this person aggravated or mad or upset or disappointed if I do something um, that, I, that I, I really feel that the Lord is leading me into. But I think it's going to step on too many toes, so maybe I don't do that. Listen, when Martin Luther, when he approached and sent the letter 
of his 95 theses up into and, and submitted it to the, the Catholic authorities and said, hey, I want to talk about some things that I think are really important, I think needs to be addressed. If you would have shied away from that, we would not be Protestants today. We would still be dealing with, with worshiping someone and someone else in a system rather than who God truly is. Finding that our, our works don't lead us into salvation, but it's faith through Jesus. He was met with heavy opposition, so much so that he was kicked out of the Catholic Church and then was threatened to be killed. They wanted to kill him and send people after him to kill him. And he had to go and hide out in a different location and grew a huge beard because he was a beardless man for a while. Uh, he was a monk and then grew a massive beard and translated the New Testament into German. It's wild. But if he would have been overtly submissive and just been like, oh, I guess you guys are all right. I'm not going to read the Bible anymore for what it's, it's telling me. Then we would not have the opportunities that we do today to be able to really look at Scripture and to read it for what Scripture says instead of just what somebody else who's standing on a pulpit delivers to you. Much of the time, it was in a different language that you couldn't understand. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right standing, morally justified. To be righteous for the Lord is to know what his will is. To know what his word says. And to follow after what his word says in his will. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. How many of you guys have ever missed, missed some meals before? And your belly was pretty rumbly. As the great philosopher Winnie the Pooh said, I got a rumbly in my tumbly. Where's the honey? Oh, Father, where's the honey? How, I mean, I, I, there have been times where I've just missed breakfast, and it's, uh, it's getting close to lunchtime, and I'm looking around going, it's real close to me getting ready to leave. There's a, there's, there's a, a section we at, uh, at work, we take trips with students and do all kinds of different activities, and we always have some snacks that we buy for the kids when we go on these buses so that they can have some food to eat. And, um, so when we get to places, they're not like, gnawing at the windows we had one kid licking a window one day that was wild so we're like never again will we have mountain dew on <laughs> on a vehicle but but we we usually buy a bunch of snacks and then typically when you buy as many snacks as we do you end up having a couple left over and so we just have just like a little snack area in my in my office which is the worst thing ever <laughs> they are all the worst foods that you can want to eat all the everything and so I can tell I'm getting hungry. I'll go get a get a cup of coffee. I'm drinking my coffee. And then and I'm like, oh, this cup of coffee's gone now. I'm ready to get my second cup. And typically on my second cup is whenever I can tell that there's a little something going on internally. And I walk in and, and the coffee pot is right there by the snack drawers. It's right there by all the, the, the baskets of the goodies and nutty buddy bars and all the things that you just don't need, but it just is delicious. And so Every time I walk over to get that next cup of coffee, I start to pour it. And as I'm pouring, I just take a little peek. Just take a little peek at that. Mmm, that looks so good. I just want it, but I don't need it. But I really want it. But I don't need it. But I want it. And that's just snacks. That's not even really having hunger. When you go days without food, 
when you've traveled so far and haven't had anything to drink? Whenever I played athletics, we would, we would have this part at the end of every practice. It was called conditioning. And for some people, it was the worst thing in the world. I love conditioning, though. Conditioning is so fun to me. You just run. That's all you got to do. There's no rules. You just run. And then they say stop, and then you're done. That's it. It's awesome. And so I would run and run and run. But at the end of that process, when coach said, hey, go get some water, you're like, thank God. You're like, parts you got cotton mouth it's just all just crazy and so you get that one and just water is the most refreshing thing when you're usually when you're a teenager you're like water is disgusting i don't know why that's even a thing uh soda is delicious and sweet tea is amazing but whenever you go and you're running really far and you're running a bunch you're doing a bunch of activity and you have a nice glass cold glass of water or just some oh it's like the best treat in the world it's it's better than candy it's better than any steak any you're just like oh my gosh this is what i need my body needs this when you've gone so long without food or with water, without water, there's a hunger inside of you. You can feel it. it's almost as if you're eating yourself, like your stomach is eating everything on the inside because it is so hungry. You can start imagining things and you're, you're like your mouth will salivate as you think of your favorite food or your favorite meal, favorite dish. As their thirst wells up, you can even see someone from afar. Maybe they just took a drink. You're like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness in that same way. Are you are you satisfied? with what the flesh offers you? Or are you aware of what the Spirit has in store for you when you follow after righteousness? When you say no to those things that the flesh offers. We read, we read out of some passages with, uh, with, with Peter. He, he lets us know, what, or excuse me, Paul, he lets us know right before the fruit of the Spirit, a bunch of different things that the flesh wants, a bunch of different things that the flesh desires. It's very easy to hunger and thirst after those things whenever you're walking out into a life of sin. However, whenever you're able to see truly who God is and you start to hunger and thirst after the things that he has for you, then it becomes a relentless pursuit. You start to find out that the things that once satisfied you has no type of appetite for you have no appetite for you start to see that this, the old behaviors that you had. It just as if they never existed anymore because you're pursuing after something that's much better. just like eating eating a hamburger from mcdonald's and you're like wow this is delicious but then you actually have real meat and you go what is this i don't ever want to eat mcdonald's again 90 percent lean beef yes please what is that? oh my goodness you start adding ingredients to it now too you mean I, they have jalapenos you can put on this pepper jack cheese my lord you start finding out that there's something that was that's much more satisfying. Not just satisfying to the taste, but also to the way that it makes you feel. The nutrients you get from that. It doesn't just go with your taste. A lot of us find out, they, we're, we're dictated by what we taste. 
And that's the only thing we think about, not understanding that some of the things that we're indulging is actually causing a lot of issues on the back end that we're not completely aware of. However, when you start to find that you start to, nu- uh, to, to, to pursue after the nutrients that not only taste good but also are phenomenal for you, you start to notice, I have more energy. My bones don't ache. My muscles aren't as sore. I, I, can, I can move a little bit better. Uh, my mind is not as foggy as it was before because you start to realize that what you've been feeding yourself has been trash beforehand. And what you're pursuing now is satisfying something that you've had an urging for the entire time. You just didn't know how it would be satisfying. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And then blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think there's 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 such a process that we go through sometimes wanting righteousness to be not just in our lives but in other people's lives that we lack mercy we lack grace we are people who are going through process and in going through process there's an all redeeming god who loves us accepts us and forgives us our slogan here is an awa- we're we're a river a place of love acceptance and forgiveness But do we forget that at times? That we have been loved, accepted, and forgiven in the midst of all the things that we've encountered or experienced. Loved, accepted, and forgiven. And so in the midst of other people's struggles and trials and difficulties and and stresses, are we also offering love, acceptance, and forgiveness to each and every one of these people as well? When we repent... And we give and we give all of our sins over to God. Say, God, I I offer this entire burden that I have of my life and I lay it at your feet. I don't want to hold these things in my mind, the shame, this regret that I'm constantly pushing on myself, telling myself I'm not good enough, telling myself I'm not worthy enough, telling myself that I'm just garbage and trash, taking those thoughts captive and looking at what the word says about who I am in Christ and then defining myself by Christ standards and not by what the world would try to tell us. Or not even what, not even defining myself how religion would try to, t- to describe how I am because I fail in a world of religion, but it actually whenever I put myself in a position of being in Christ and Christ in me, then I will see who I really am based off of scripture. Are we able to do that with others now? It's not just ourselves that need forgiveness. Other people need that process too. And then I love that this is next. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. If we're not seeing God in our everyday life, then we might need to check the purity of our intentions, the purity of our heart, the thought process that we go through. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. David, whenever he messed up with Bathsheba and, uh, and killed her husband and took her as a, as a wife, the prophet Nathan came and, and, and talked to him and was like, hey, the Lord knows what you did. <laughs> You're not slick. This is, this, is, this is well known in the heavenly courts. David wrote a psalm called Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Do not take away your Holy Spirit. Do not take away your presence from me. 
begged and pleaded. He said, purify my heart so that I can still see you. Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. They will see God. We really want to see God. We have to purify ourselves. We talked about holiness a few weeks ago. Holiness has to be on our mind consistently. Be holy because God is holy. Be holy because he is holy. The standard of holiness is set for us in scripture. It's laid out for us. If you love God, you're going to follow his, his commands. You're going to obey his commands. You can say you love God conceptually, that's fine. But it's not going to do much if you don't actually obey him. That's just pandering God with words. We don't want to be in a position where we're pandering God. We want to actually follow and obey him. Otherwise, we're still acting like orphans. Trying to just say, say enough words that we can for the people who are around us so that we can please them enough so that they can be fine with us and then leave us alone enough to where I'm not in, kind of in the forefront messing with anybody to where they can see me because I don't want too much attention on me. So I'm just going to tell you whatever it is that you need so that I can, I can get away with doing that and then just kind of do my own thing because I don't want to get hurt. That's an orphan spirit, an orphan mentality. However, if we truly are adopted into the kingdom, if we're grafted into the vine, then that means that we're going to open ourselves up completely and then follow in obedience the one who we gave our life to. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. If you're experiencing chaos internally, I just mentioned the orphan spirit. If you're experiencing chaos and you're constantly trying to please all kinds of things, that's not being a peacemaker. Again, that's being the negative aspect of meekness. That's being overtly submissive. However, you can be a peacemaker whenever you're able to align yourself and obey the word of the Lord because you know that everything that he requires of you is going to work out for good for those who love God and call according to his purposes. And so by doing that, you're going to walk in peace even though there may be chaos around you. But you know that you are obeying the wills and the desires of the king of the universe, the one who created all things, the one who, who makes a way where there's no way, the one who opens doors who are shut and shuts doors that may be seemingly open. You're obeying him and he's the one who is also called the prince of peace, the mighty God. It's when other people are in disobedience is whenever they start to walk into chaos and they start to define things on their own, which means that they've created their own kingdoms, which means, again, going back to the top, that they're not poor in spirit because theirs is not the kingdom of heaven. They created their own kingdom by defining their own rules. It becomes a Lord of the Flies situation to where you just have a bunch of people acting like kids who don't have any parents. Orphan spirit. Then blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love that he mentions theirs is the kingdom of heaven again, because when you go to the top, he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You go through all these other aspects and talks about you being fulfilled and those things being, being shown mercy as well. You'll see God, and then you, are, you will be persecuted because you're walking in righteousness. You're not being defined by somebody else's kingdom. You're not being defined by your own kingdom. You're being defined by the kingdom of heaven. And those who want to walk in the flesh will war against the spirit. 
and they will persecute you because you're following after a righteous heavenly father who is holy. And when they wouldn't want to walk out in holiness, they're going to try to poke and prod you so that their shame and guilt will be shared with you. Instead, we're seated in heavenly places knowing that because Christ died for me, I am now raised with Christ and then seated in heavenly places. It's not because I'm just so awesome and I've defined things for myself so then I'm seated in heavenly places. It's only because of what Christ has done for us by going to the cross, being crucified, buried, raising from the grave that we also can pick up our cross, follow after him, crucify the flesh, and then follow after him in obedience, then be raised in new life, being born again, born of the spirit, and then seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, knowing that my reward is not going to have anything to do with what I can gain here, but my reward is to be with the Father. Because I am no longer an orphan. I am a child of God. I'm grafted into the vine. I'm not a branch scattered, ready to just be burned and discarded. So rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he goes into this part, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify yourself. No. Glorify your Father in heaven. If you remember what, we've brought this up a couple times. Paul, Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 1, he said that, the, that these people heard about what my life was doing. He, they heard about the testimony of my life, about the, the negative things that I was doing, persecuting Christians, throwing people in jail, going against the word of the Lord, going against Christ. And then Christ came and saved me. And then from that point, now I'm preaching the gospel. I'm going out into all the world and, and delivering all these things. And these people who never met me gave God glory because of him. They didn't give Peter glory. They didn't give Paul glory. They didn't give John glory. They didn't give any of the apostles glory. They gave God glory because of him walking out in righteousness in the same way let your light every single one of you let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father because you are not an orphan they can see that because of the name that you bear christian means little christ-like one means christ-like one because of the name that you bear as being a believer in jesus christ they can glorify your father in heaven not just say, look at you, you're an awesome Christian. That's not where we need to be. We need to be in a position where everything that we do comes from a poor spirit. It comes from meekness. It comes from, from being merciful. It comes from being peacemakers. From hungering and thirsting after righteousness. From being pure in heart. From mourning. When the time comes so that you can be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I'll summarize the next section of scripture so you don't have to click through and miss. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time doing that. Jesus met the Samaritan woman at the well. 
and he offered her something that she was not able to attain on her own. You see, she went up to the, to the well at a time that nobody else went up to the well because she wasn't really a part of, of, of the crew of ladies that would go up at the typical hour and draw water. Her reputation was, was a little other than what the other ladies were comfortable with. She was able to draw for herself water and to get that, that's great. But there was a type of, a type of water that only Jesus was able to offer her. It was a living water. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again that she had. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Because blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is the key. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Why will you be satisfied? Because Christ in you will well up, will, will drill out a well inside of you that is full of living water that will bubble out, not just so that you're satisfied, but it will provide sustenance to those who are around you because you carry a message that is much greater than a self-help book. You carry a message that is much greater than anything that you can offer them in the physical. But you can offer them something that gives them complete satisfaction because the Holy Spirit will drill inside of them a well that will spring out and produce life-giving water for them. And when you look at the when you look at the very beginning in the creation story, in the creation narrative, you see that that when God created everything, he put a tree and then he put a spring that went and welled up and this river flowed and gave life to the rest of the land. They didn't need rain, they didn't need anything. This this river flowed throughout all of the land and gave life to everything that was around it because it satisfied the needs of the place. So circling back around into John 15, if you would bring that up, Mr. Terry. Verse 1 and 2 says this. He says, I am the, the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. And then in verse 16, at the very end, should be the last slides. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, that you love each other. Jesus is the vine. Your sustenance comes from him. Your nutrition comes from him. Your worth, your value comes from him. Life itself comes from him. 
what have we been putting our value in? Christ in me. So that you can see Christ on me. Christ in me is for me. Christ on me is for the representation so that you can give him glory. Any tree that does, any branch that does not bear fruit, he will prune. I believe that the church right now is in a state of pruning. The body of Christ, <clears throat> I don't just mean like this church itself, I mean the body of Christ itself. It's been in a state of pruning. Many of the conversations I've been having with people, it seems like there's been a pruning of branches, of movements, of churches, of people that are not bearing fruit that will last. I'm not talking about this not bearing certain fruit. There's certain things that you can see in certain places. It's like, oh, that's great, but this fruit is not lasting. This is fruit that is souring because it's being done out of their own vine. Can we call ourselves blessed today? Let's stand this morning. If you feel like you could not count yourself blessed this morning, feel like throughout the message you're like you're just stepping all over my toes I feel like my ankles bruised <laughs> if you feel like this has not been you that you you may have taken on an orphan mentality in your mindset in the way that you've been living your life maybe you feel like you've taken the the status of a king of your own castle and not submitting your land to the Lord then we're going to be up here to pray with you want to see you guys succeed and excel. I want to succeed and excel in Christ. This is not so that our names will be glorified, but that so our Father in Heaven's name will be glorified. And every time someone sees you, they're like, man, praise God. So happy this person works here. Can't imagine what, what this atmosphere would be like if this person wasn't here because they carry the presence of the Lord with them. feel like I'm so full of chaos, but when this person walks in the room, I feel like whenever I talk to them, man, it's just like peace is in the room with them. It's, it's crazy. Start thinking about God stuff. I watched the Jesus Revolution movie yesterday. Please, everyone go see that. It's amazing. It's really good. But there was a, a group of individuals called the hippies that were not so welcomed in the church because they were a little bit different and they encountered some different things and they went through life very differently than some other people who were not so much in that sphere. People were coming in barefooted and with their hair all different and had beads and leather and <laughs> all kinds of stuff that made other people uncomfortable. However, whenever Chuck Smith was able to soften his heart and see that Jesus to touch people and it didn't matter what you look like 
ground was, what your current circumstances were, that God could do some pretty incredible things for people who are hungry for something authentic from you. So I pray that this is not a place of inauthenticity. This is not a place of just show that you guys don't just come in here and sit down and just feel good because you were a part of a service on a Sunday, but that you guys are driven, drawn, and hungry for God to actually move in your life, in your house, within your job, within your people group, within your family, that you are not satisfied with the status quo of American Christianity, but this is something that is an undignified pursuit of the almighty living God, the one who actually saved your soul from damnation, saved your soul from sin, lifted the weight of all of the things that you've encountered, done, and accomplished. Lifted the weight of those things off of your shoulders and called you his child. You are no longer orphans, but you are children of the most high God. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you, God, that you are the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. We thank you, God, that we are not gods. We thank you that that we are not the final say-so on what happens. Lord, we thank you that you have a plan, that you have a desire for us. We thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us, you don't forsake us, that you're with us in the midst of every single thing that we can encounter. You're with us in the midst of everything that we can ever experience, that you want us to be free so that we can experience freedom, not so that we could be free from one thing, to be bound to another religious system. But Lord, let us pursue after you with hunger, with thirst. Let us have have empty stomachs when it comes to our thought process of what we want out of out of righteousness. And let us run with persistence to your to your feet, Lord. Let us run into your arms. Let us run after you and not after the things of the flesh. Let our appetites be diminished and scattered when it comes to the things of the flesh. Let those things, as we start to try to participate in anything, let it be so bland and so bleak and so horrible and so unsatisfactory that, Lord, we have no other choice but to pursue after your presence, to pursue after your face, to pursue after your love, your desires, and your wisdom, to give our lives wholly and completely to you. Lord, let us not have closed lips when we enter into our job placements. Lord, let us not have closed lips when we're with our family. Let us not have closed lips and have a negative aspect of what meekness is. But Lord, let us be meek in your eyes and then also walk out with fear and trembling, which you called us into, so that we can adequately describe the kingdom of heaven to those who are in bondage and who need it. Lord, thank you that we get to represent your kingdom here on earth. Thank you that you have given us this opportunity to co-labor with you. Thank you that we're not robots, but you gave us a choice. And in that choice, Lord, we choose obedience. So convict us so that we can walk out obedience. We give you praise, honor, and glory. You're so incredible. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said Amen. If you would like prayer, we're going to be up here. If not, you guys have a marvelous Sunday afternoon. Go have lunch with somebody. Go hug on somebody. Let them know that you're happy that they're here. And we'll see you guys in the next service.